You're listening to the Dungeons, Dragons, and Psychology Podcast. Hello, Cyclothids, and welcome to the Dungeons, Dragons, and Psychology Podcast. Today, I am recording at the Jim State Comic Con Convention in Boise, Idaho. So you might hear some fun background noises on today's episode as there are people wandering all over the place today having a great time. I have seen every sort of character from every sort of wonderful nerdy thing that you can imagine and I'm just having a great time. So I do want to say thank you to everybody who has come and met me at the booth, has introduced themselves, taken the cards, bought copies of the book. I really hope that you have found your way to the show and are enjoying it and listening now. Welcome. If you are new to the show, my name is Robert Walker, and this is the Dungeons, Dragons, and Psychology podcast, where I teach collaborative storytellers how to have more immersive campaigns using psychology. What we're going to be talking about today is utilizing ideas from different versions of role-playing games, sort of cherry-picking the ideas that you most like and incorporating them into a single game or a single session that you're running for yourself, or even turning them into your own setting, so to speak. Now, I have been running games and role-playing for a little over 25 years, so this is something that I do a lot. And the main reason is because I've had so much exposure to different settings, to different uh, editions of Dungeons & Dragons and other role-playing games as well, like Pathfinder and Call of Cthulhu. When I had Monty Cook on my show at the beginning of Season 2, he said something that really stuck with me and I think explains my own feelings about the concept really well, which is that once a consumer or a player buys a piece of work that you've created for a setting or a story, and then they go ahead and run in that world, it then becomes theirs. So there's no reason why they can't change it and modify it and morph it into whatever it is that they want it to be that is going to be most useful and most applicable to their game table. Now, I can give you a few examples of the way that we have done this in our own stories the way that we have used it around our table, because I think the things that we have done have enhanced our overall play style, and we've incorporated things from many different editions and different settings into our typical play style so that it fits our game table. So although our group primarily uses Pathfinder as its standard system now, and typically that is Pathfinder 1st Edition, We have incorporated items from Pathfinder 2nd Edition, D&D 3.5, D&D 4th Edition, D&D 5th Edition into our house rules that we basically utilize in every single game that we play. One example I'll give you of those is from 4th Edition. We used 4th Edition only for a very short amount of time, several campaigns, and we decided that it really didn't fit our personal play style, but there were a couple things from it that we really, really liked. The first one that we really liked was the way that they did stat increases. They had a greater amount of stat increases happening rather than just the one every four levels. You were getting two different stat increases every four levels to two different stats. So that's something we have kept forward in 
basically every session or every campaign that we've ever run since then, even in a different system. And the second one, and the one that we utilize even more so than the stat method, is we use skill challenges. Skill challenges came out of 4th edition, and they were an excellent way in order to have your party engage in an activity as a group using the skills on their character sheet as sort of like a skill combat, almost, so to speak. So there are different difficulties of those challenges, and it sets how many DC, how high the DC is that you have to attain and how many successes you have to have before a certain number of failures in order for the group to complete the skill challenge. What I really like about this is it changes the whole narrative of, well, if you're trying to sneak into a castle or something, one bad stealth roll from a single member of your party sort of ruins that whole activity. However, if you do it in skill challenge, you don't just incorporate stealth. You're also incorporating things like a character who's really strong being able to hold the portcullis open while everybody else sneaks underneath. Or a character who has a really good climb skill, scaling the wall and lowering a rope for everybody else to to make their way into the castle. So it's not just roll a stealth check and hopefully everybody in the party succeeds. You're taking sort of an aggregate of everybody's best skills that are applicable to a scenario and using that as a way to progress the story. What's really great about incorporating this sort of thing into our house rule and our basic method of playing is that as we play, anytime the dungeon master calls for a skill challenge, the party already knows what that is, even though it's not part of the system that we're playing in. We use it so frequently, it has just become known in our gaming circle. The really important part about all this is finding out what works best for your group. What is going to be the best thing for the people at your table or at your virtual tabletop and utilizing the pieces from different systems that are going to be most exciting and interesting and enjoyable for the people that you are playing with. Let me give you another example. We started playing in Faerun during third edition. We were really, really immersed in that world. And so for us, we had huge stories that took place in 3rd edition Faerun. Well, when the spell blight happened, or the spell plague happened, and most of Faerun was changed as we know it with the conversion from 3.5 to 4th edition, we just pretended that never happened. Our Faerun is still the third edition Faerun. That's still the world we play in because that's the story our characters and our NPCs are still engrossed in. We have history there. So there's no need to change that for us. We can absolutely stay in something that existed before. So even though we have something from that old that still remains in our games, we're still incorporating new things. When 5th edition came out and we tried that system a few times, we still found that our preference was Pathfinder 1st Edition at that point, but after playing 5th Edition for a while, what we really loved about that system was the brilliance of the advantage and disadvantage rules. So that's something that we use regularly. Almost every game that we have, we will utilize the advantage and disadvantage system. Don't get me wrong, it doesn't always have to be about game mechanics either. There can be very small portions of a game that you are incorporating in. 
for example, for us, one of the things that we really loved from third edition was the way that the shape change spell worked, which is very different from the way that shape change works in Pathfinder first edition or second edition or D&D fourth edition or fifth edition. So regardless of what system we're running in, we almost exclusively use the ruling for shape change from third edition D&D, just because even though many people think that that spell is one of the most OP spells and they don't want it in their game, especially from third edition, we have still had so many great stories that have been built around that spell to reduce its power and make it less flexible than it used to be for us is is a deterrent because it has provided so much great entertainment and great stories. Let's talk a little bit about how you would go about cherry picking and incorporating these sort of things into your homebrew setting, making it completely your own. First of all, I am not going to advocate uh, that anybody just DM fiats throwing this stuff in there. As you probably know from the title of my book, I think the appropriate time and place to make these sort of decisions is during your session zero. You want to find a commonality, a common ground for your group and explain the rules that you're hoping to incorporate from a different system. If there are questions about how it's going to make things interact or how things are going to behave in conjunction when you're putting things together like this, because sometimes there are uh, difficulties. We have tried certain scenarios that didn't work uh, system to system, and we've had to eliminate them. But the thing that we always do is we communicate them ahead of time during our session zero or before the game even gets started because we want to make sure that everyone is on board and everybody is going to be comfortable with that, with whatever rule set it is that we have decided and agreed upon as a group. So again, if you're going to do this, do it in your session zero, do it before your game, come to an agreement as a group, and then move forward with it. If there's too many complications, you can always work backwards and eliminate something, but make that a conversation not a decision of one person. Let's go ahead and talk through how you can go about putting this all together now and including ideas and concepts from different campaigns or different settings into your campaign or world. And let's do that in our Tricks of the Trade. So like I mentioned before, probably the first and most important aspect of doing this is that you need to communicate with the other people who are going to be at your table. You can't just make this decision or this ruling on your own. Of course, as a DM, it's your prerogative. You could if you wanted to, but it's not going to lend to a very inclusive game table if that's the approach that you're always going to take. And it might surprise people and make them not interested in the game you're playing. So like I said before, communicate and make sure that everyone's on the same page usually during your session zero. The next, and I think also equally important step to this whole process, is if you're going to incorporate rules and you've had to make decisions about how they will interact between systems, you need to document that stuff so that you have a clear idea of how to rule things as you move forward. And anytime you make a new ruling about the way that various rules are interacting, you need to document that as well. 
so that you can, again, reference the decisions that have already been made as part of your game so that things stay consistent. Another important thing to do is to have the available rule sets for the systems that you're running and you're incorporating together available, even if that's online and you have bookmarks saved. But whatever rules you're using from systems, keep a detailed description of each of those rules somewhere at hand so that you can reference them in their totality if you need to improvise what way they interact or if you need further information about how they would function in your world Sometimes you can get that through context of how they function in the system they're supposed to function in. That is all for today, Cyclothids. I just want to remind you that through the end of today, 4 p.m., I will be at the Jim State Comic Con in Boise, Idaho. If you want to swing by and buy a copy of my book or meet me in person, I also have a couple of limited edition mugs available. Uh, just come on down if you are in the Boise area. I would love to see your faces. And as always, until next time, I will see you next session.